Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supporting people and finding resources that help them navigate STI stigma. This includes therapy, now yoga, uh, group therapy, oh, I can't say that, peer-led support groups facilitated by a licensed mental health care provider. Doesn't group therapy just sound so much better? <laughs> we should just be able to say that. And uh, yeah. as well as connecting people to support groups. Today, I'm so excited because I thought I lost the audio from another podcast episode. And when I went to get this one going, I found it and I, I could cry. I'm so happy. I text her. She just texted me back. OMG, no way. How? I'll explain that later. I don't understand how Do Not Disturb works on my phone because I'll put it on and still get stuff. I don't get it. And it's on airplane mode, but the Wi-Fi is on and it has to be the case for me to record the audio, which for whatever reason... And this is just going to be the last bit of rambling I do, I promise. We got a guest today. I'm going to let her talk. I'm not going to do that thing where I stretch out what she's saying to try to translate it or anything. But uh, I bought this expensive-ass microphone, and the audio, when it's just me, sounds great on the microphone. But when I'm interviewing people, the audio in the microphone doesn't sound all that good. So here we are recording straight into the phone. Um, and I haven't done this in a while. My laptop broke. So I'm actually using two phones right now. No, it ain't one for the plug and one for the load. We ain't gonna say the other part of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the sound quality should be better. I had people uh, say to me that things were not sounding very clear or loud on a couple of recent episodes. And I, I know why. My laptop has run its course. So it's time to do something different. We'll see how this two phone thing works out. Um, otherwise I'll have to get a Mac, which I've never had a Mac before, but yeah, we'll see how this goes. All right. Maya is our guest today. Maya actually, uh, is someone that completed the peer support group led by a licensed mental health care professional. So she was one of the participants in that group. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about her own personal experience and, um, going through, I'm just going to call it group therapy, uh, on paper, you know what it is, but <laughs> when we're doing conversations, it's group therapy. So we'll leave it at that. So Maya, if you want to go ahead and just, uh, I hate when people ask me to introduce myself. First off, let's go with, uh, like, just let's talk about your experience with your diagnosis. We don't have to get into like age and all of that stuff if you don't want to, but anything that you want to share, go ahead. So I have been a positive carrier for herpes simplex virus um, 2 genitally. I contracted it May 27th, um, three years ago. So doing the math, I think that's 2018 or 2017. Um, I contracted it the way that you see it in the hangover, that what happens in Vegas things stays in Vegas, except for herpes, that motherfucker comes back with you. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse or not, but um, it definitely came back with me. So um, I never had sex ed in school. Um, I transferred from one middle school to the next one. So when I left one middle school, they weren't having the sex talk yet. And when they went to the other one, they had just finished having it. So as ignorant as it sounds, at 24, when I first contracted it, I had I knew that herpes was out there, but I didn't know 
exactly what herpes was and I never bothered to look into it because I didn't think it was ever going to come its way into my life um so how I contract I'm saying all of that to say when I contracted it um I received it or I got it by getting head from someone else I had no idea that you could catch something from getting oral sex um I always thought I used condoms I'm being protected and with him I thought, I don't want to risk anything, so I'm not going to have sex, so I'll have oral sex instead. And then, of course, boom, I get it. Um, so that's how I got it. I know um, who it came from. I was too much of a coward to confront him about it, and I just kind of kept running my mind, like, did I see anything in his mouth? His mouth looked fine to me. Um, and I was a coward. I didn't confront him, but I found an a website where you can put in their phone number and it'll send them an anonymous text saying you need to get checked. So you got, you might potentially have X, Y, and Z. So I'm, I think I got it from him based on the timeline. Um, it's possible now that I know about it, that it could have been dormant and I never had a symptom until I guess two weeks after him. Um, at first I thought it was a razor bump. It was really painful. Went to the doctor. She gave me ointment. Um, it kept hurting. I went back. Um, she said it was probably a rash from using a bikini earlier, um, that weekend gave me another ointment. It still kept hurting. So I went to the doctor four times, long story short. Um, and the way that I was told that I had it was, I think similar to everyone else's where they just kind of tell you, you have herpes. Like they tell you it's Monday or it's Tuesday, like just normally, um, I, I stayed composed, but when I went in my car, I cried and I cried and I cried. Um, and when I went back home, at the time, I had just moved back in with my parents after graduating from college. So it was really, really hard to just try to just shake it off in the car and then go back home and pretend like everything was fine. Um, and then that's a whole different story within itself. Me being of a Hispanic background, it's very stigmatized to talk about sex, which is also why I didn't know about herpes as much as I, sh- as I should have. Um, and to this day, my parents still don't know because it's still very taboo and very stigmatized to talk about sex. So that's how I found out about it and more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you bring up like being Hispanic, I kind of relate this to a lot of communities of color. Uh, curious about your experience. Do your parents ask you like when you're having kids or when they're going to get grandbabies or anything like that? So they know that, you know, eventually I'm going to have kids. They do want grandkids. They're telling me all the time, like, you need to get married. We want grandkids. Um, but it's very, very taboo to talk about sex. Even growing up, I remember whenever we would watch a movie and it was a makeout scene, my sibling and I had to close our eyes during the makeout scene. I mean, very, very traditional family. Um, they, they've had the sex conversation that they had with my sister and I was, we know you guys are going to have sex eventually. Just be safe and don't tell us about it. We don't want to know about it. That was pretty much the sex talk that we had. Um, but other than that, it's very terrible to talk about sex. Yeah, that's challenging to navigate because you don't know what safe is. You don't know what protection is so these words that to an adult who has had children clearly because they had sex it's just such simple language for them to use that means so much to them 
But to you, it doesn't really mean much. Like wear condoms, right? That's the, the that's what protection means. It doesn't also include communicating with partners. It doesn't include getting tested and encouraging your partners to get tested. It doesn't include a lot of the elements of protection that need to be included when you say that. And when you say be safe, like, all right, what do you mean? Do I need to carry a knife with me whenever I'm going to go have sex with somebody? Like, what do you mean by safe? So that like vague advice, guidance compounded with not having received sex education in school, which if I'm a parent, I would assume that someone talked to my kids about sex in school. I would just assume that. So when I use these buzzwords that it would, I would think that it would like, trigger a response for you to be like, oh, okay, so when my parents say this, you know, they mean everything that I learned in sex ed, right? But you didn't get that. Yeah, and it's it's a bit embarrassing to say, you know, like at 24, I should know the basics, but I think a lot of the what we consider or what the typical audience considers as the basics is just gonorrhea, chlamydia, what you get tested for in your standard STI panel. But I think with, like with herpes, and even sometimes syphilis, like to the States, I should probably know. I don't know how people get syphilis. Um, I know about HIV because of how big it was back then and like how people were so like scared of it at the time. Um, but I feel like there are certain things that people don't know about. I mean, my friend had HPV uh, when we were in college and that was my first time ever hearing about it. That was her first time hearing about it. So it's, it's a shame that um, I guess our our generation doesn't know as much as we should know, I think, uh, which is why I'm, I'm so happy that and how I found you like on Instagram and um, other influencers on TikTok. They are the ones that are now educating me and hopefully educating those younger than me because that's that education I never received. And based on the conversations I've had with other people, they didn't receive that in school either. They just give you condoms and say, go out there, be safe and prosper. <laughs> but no one tells you, you know, what really comes with it, how to really contract it. And that really is a good segue into the next point. I was going to ask you, what has your own self-sex education looked like? It has been a roller coaster of knowledge and learning and emotions. Um, I uh, So I never got the sex talk in school, but I did participate in... Um, it was one of those programs that went into local neighborhoods and got random girls that were from certain um, disadvantaged populations. And I remember it was called, I think it was like go ahead friend or I don't know, something tacky like that. But essentially it was a bunch of girls meeting with um, an adult and she would talk to us about having healthy sex and how to be, how to break down the stigma of sex being bad and that sex can be fun. It can be healthy. Just be protected. Um, she was the reason why I went on birth control at 13, which I don't think should have happened that early um, to each their own. But to me, I think I was too young to really understand the, with the responsibility that came with sex at 13. Um, but that was as far as my education was. But again, I don't remember her ever talking about, what you can catch from it. I think it was more so like pregnancy prevention Mm -hmm. or trying to prevent, I guess, that stereotype of we are Latina or African-American women getting pregnant at 15. I think that's what they were trying to prevent at the time. Um, And 
my mom signed me up for it because, again, just being afraid that I would fall into the category that was in the neighborhood of all the girls that looked like me getting pregnant at that time. So um, that was what happened. That was my the extent of me getting any type of sex ed, but it was more of pregnancy prevention ed, I think, which is also just goes back to how, I mean, you know, people see us that because we look a certain way that we are on track to be part of that, um, of that statistic. Um, and then I didn't really get educated on anything else beyond that. I think the extent of me getting ed- educated was every time I would go into Planned Parenthood and just, they would tell me this is your, um, this is what you can use to prevent pregnancy and prevent blah, blah, blah. But they just give you items and that's they or brochures and you, you're not going to grab any brochures unless you have whatever is on a brochure, of course. Um, so I really didn't get educated really in depth about sex until I, I was diagnosed with herpes. Mm-hmm. And even then, all the knowledge that I did get was through my own self-exploration because there weren't no resources out there for me. Um, my way of getting involved with the herpes community online was I found Shana Singleton um, through my sister. Um, she's um, just amazing. But we're not going to talk about that because that would be a whole another podcast. <laughs> I can say so many good things about her. Um, but my sister sent me, and my sister's the only person in my family that, that knows about it. She was the first person that I told. Um, she sent me a BuzzFeed article saying, hey, I think you should check her out. And I instantly connected with her. She was very real, very genuine. She kind of sort of looked like me in a certain aspect as far as, like, we were within a certain community. Um, And after going on her Instagram, I found your page, and I just found so many more pages, so many more podcasts. So all my education came all at once, uh, which is crazy to think about that I went so many years without knowing anything, and then all of a sudden, within a span of a month, I know more than I ever did. Um, and then that led to me kind of knowing more about my own sexuality through knowing what I like, what I don't like, what triggers me, what doesn't trigger me. So I would say me getting any knowledge that I should have had a long time ago has been within this past year. Yeah. Touching back on what you mentioned about, um, pregnancy prevention. I think that really that's what the emphasis has always been on. Even for me at school, it was emphasized in my household. It was emphasized. Don't get nobody pregnant. Don't bring no babies up in here. You getting out. Like I was deathly afraid of getting someone pregnant. So if somebody told me that they were on birth control, like I might not have believed them necessarily because that was the stereotype. It was that women will lie to you. Like I was so deathly afraid of getting anybody pregnant STDs were off the table. Like it just never occurred to me that that was ever really an issue. So I'm wondering if this is just something that's like preached into black and brown communities and as a way of, all right, you know, pregnancy, 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 pregnancy. This is what we need to avoid. This is what we need to be prepared for, whatever, but not talking about SCI prevention. It's just like we don't talk about these things. A lot of people that I know have not been able to talk to their families or people close to them about sex. But everybody's like, you know, once you hit a certain age, oh, when are you going to get married? When are you going to start having babies? And don't nobody want to hear that. Like, but you don't want to talk to me about sex, right? Right. <laughs> so um, you said that you found a lot of your resources online. Shout out to Shannon Singleton, by the way. Um, you found her 
your sister, you disclosed to, and she came across the resource. I think that people really sleep on the value that a person can bring to the table if you just are comfortable enough to just share something like this with them. People want to help us. People want to support us. People want to love us. But we're so deathly afraid of anyone finding out about our status that we'll just isolate and not have any resources rather than risk someone else knowing our status and judging us uh, at the expense of us not being able to have any. So like, just like how you told your sister, this is someone that you trusted, you love, you feel safe with, you feel supported by. She came through for you. After you told her, she came across that, she was able to share that resource for you. And that's just how this advocacy thing works. Whenever we have people around us who have a, even just like a mild understanding of what it is that we're experiencing, they can be advocates for us. Now, who's to say that she won't be out and about and someone makes a herpes joke? She might be the one to stand up for all of us because she knows one of us. And that's something that people really don't understand or people don't really uh, see the value in because of just how taboo it is to discuss sexual health. And especially if we're the ones that are impacted by it, we don't want nobody to know that. It's embarrassing, right? So my question to you is, why your sister? Why her? She's always been my confidant. I mean, I just always go to her for everything. She's very, she, I would say she's emotionally incompetent. So I knew that going to her, she wasn't going to have pity towards me. She was just going to give me the facts and tell me how it is, um, which was the case with her. But I just, I trust her and it, I just needed to tell somebody. I mean, I always trusted her with everything. Um and she's she's been a great great resource i mean she she always tells me like well you should have been more careful but it wasn't your fault i love you you're important you're special so she tells me everything that i would want like a mother to tell me but i know that i can't go to my mom for that so that's why i told her okay yeah and you weren't scared about her not being what she had always been to you after you told her this thing right like, was there ever any moment of fear where if you tell her you have herpes that she's going to like, this will be the thing that she's like, uh, uh-uh, I can't, I can't bother with you. I can't deal with you. I'm going to tell people like, cause these are just genuine concerns. So I'm curious to know if you had yeah. any of that. I wasn't afraid of her telling other people because I, I trust her with so many things. And I think we both know so much about each other to where it's like, I can threaten her and say, if you say blah, 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 I'm going to say blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was so, 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 so definitely afraid of her um, rejecting me just because disappointing her is something that I've always feared so much because she is my younger sister and she looks up to me. And she's, she always tells me that she looks up to me. She always tells me how she loves me, how I'm a mother figure to her. And I was just so afraid of, of her seeing me in a different light because when I found out, I saw myself in a different light. If I couldn't even love myself at that point, how would I expect somebody else to love me? You know, I was so afraid of that. Um, I was afraid of her seeing me as dirty because I saw myself as dirty. Um, I mean, that was arguably the lowest point I've ever had in my life. I mean, I'm talking about planning out suicide and it was just, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I I was so afraid of telling her. Uh, But she, she expected me. I think she was shocked because I don't think she knew a lot about herpes either. Um, she was worried 
because she's not how I was. And at the time, I think I projected all my fears onto her because I was just crying hysterically and telling her no one's going to love me. No one's, I'm not going to have any kids. And, and I had, at the time that I got diagnosed, I was currently fighting depression. I mean, I was on um, depression pills. I was doing group, actual group therapy. Um, I was doing, I had a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I mean, I'm talking about going into the mental health clinic at least four times a week. It was bad. So I think she was worried as well that I had, I was finally coming out of that hole and then to be diagnosed was kind of going all the way back. So I think she was afraid, but not um, in a rejecting type of way. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had a lot of other things that were going on as far as your mental health goes. Um, Would you say that those things helped you like navigate your herpes diagnosis at all? Sorry, what was the question? It broke up a little bit. Oh, no, no. So what I'm asking is, uh, given your awareness of all of the mental health stuff that you had going on, you had a therapist, psychologist, you were in group therapy and depression and suicide ideation. You had all of that going on. Did your resources at that point in time support you or was it beneficial to you to have had that experience pre-diagnosis? Did that help you through your diagnosis at all? Or did your diagnosis like just amplify those things already? It amplified it a lot because I was, I was going to, um, to therapy, counseling, et cetera. Um, because at a really, really young age, so kind of backtracking, um, when I was very young, my first introduction to sex was hearing my parents have sex. My, and it's interesting because there is very simple in my family, right? But yet, I remember I would always sleep um, in the same room as my father, and my mom would sleep in the same room as my sister because she was a baby. So they saw it as, okay, one adult has to be with one daughter, the other one with the other daughter at night. So my mom would sneak into my room slash my dad's room in the middle of the night so they could have sex when I was sleeping and I could hear it. So that was my introduction to sex. Um, and I would have, I knew something was going on and I knew I shouldn't know what was going on. So I just, I would kind of pretend that I kept on sleeping and then just kind of sleep it off. Um, so I think it was like that trauma being in me, knowing that I shouldn't be hearing those things kind of caught up to me later on, um, at the age of 16 or 17, I was raped by, I think it was about four people at the same time. So my friend and I had snuck out. We said we're going to this college party. Um, We were in high school. We were taking dual enrollment classes during the summer. So we met a football player for that school. Um, They were having a party, so we snuck out to their party. That was my first time ever drinking. Um, I remember it was Malibu rum. I don't know if I was given anything else. I just remember like very vaguely like people holding me down. And then I, mean, I was raped, and, and I remember people were saying, oh, no, like, that was a train, or you wanted that. Nobody wants multiple people in you that you don't know. It was scary. I mean, it was my friend off in the room doing whatever she was doing. I don't know. It was just me, her, and, like, all, those, all these other football guys um, that were there at the end of the party. So it was me holding that in again because it was stigmatized to talk about sex in my family, so I was afraid of reporting it. I thought it was my fault. Um, so I was just holding that in for so many years. And I think in my 20s was when it just all kind of came out once and I just broke down. 
Um, and that's why I was going to therapy because I was like, okay, I'm ready to just let this go. I, I hate this haunting me all the time. I hate having nightmares about it. So it was interesting that I was going to therapy for something that was sex related. And then this comes up. Um, interestingly enough, when it happened, I told my therapist and she said, oh, that's normal. Everyone has herpes. I have so many um, patients that have herpes and they have perfectly fine lives. You're not going to die. They're married and they're happy. You're going to be fine. And that was it. I mean, I was I was so afraid of like telling her what I was thinking because I didn't want to be sent off to like um, 24-7, a 24-7 mental facility. So I didn't tell her that I had suicidal thoughts, but she really didn't offer any support or anything besides telling me I was going to be fine, which is what I needed to hear, but not in that way, maybe. Um, now, as far as the group therapy, at the time, there were no groups for people that were dealing with sexual trauma. So the group that I was placed into was a group for um, alcoholics um, and drug recovery colics, um, if that's a term. So imagine me being in a room with people that are fighting alcohol and drug substance abuse problems, and I'm the only one that has any type of sex-related trauma, and I'm in this group. Um, the reason behind it was at least I have other people that are, are dealing with suicidal thoughts, and they're going through depression, and you can talk about coping mechanisms. But I think people don't realize that, yes, coping mechanisms are helpful, but under the coping mechanism umbrella, there's so many different communities that, that need different coping mechanisms. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So I wasn't given the resource. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a long answer to say I wasn't given the resources that I needed to help me with my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, yeah. Do you need like a break or anything? No, I'm good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so the question was just like, were you prepared? Do you feel that you were better prepared to receive your diagnosis because of therapy and everything? But I mean, it sounds like you were going through a lot more than what herpes was like herpes in the grand scheme of everything that you just shared wasn't really that significant. Uh, it wasn't really that significant in anything. It just was like, damn, now this is kind of what I heard in listening to you. Is that accurate? Oh, um, I would say I felt I felt like at the time herpes was a much bigger problem because in my mind I had already kind of my, made myself so strong to where now I can talk about what happened in the past without it really stirring up emotion in me um, because I just kind of formed myself into nothing can break me I'm strong I'm strong I'm strong and in my mind it was okay well if I don't talk about my rape it's not going to break me no one has to know about it I can go throughout my whole life and no one knowing that I got raped no one knowing that. Um, I experienced knowing about sex at a, at a young, early age in a way that I shouldn't. But with herpes, I have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I have to tell people. So I think that's, and looking back, I think it was much bigger than me going through what I went through. Yeah. And what you described, I never would have thought about, you know, hearing your parents have sex or knowing that they're having sex in the room, in the same room as you, being a sexual trauma. I guess that is something that um I guess I want to explore with you a little bit more so you've been in therapy about that that is a sexual trauma like how so and how has that impacted you and your relationship to sex so that was like my first interest to sex and I think I 
my sister, I'm five years older than my sister, so I must have been, like, around five years old when it started, or, like, six years, six, not six years old, six years old when it started, so that was, like, my intro to sex, I never knew what sex was, when they were having sex, I didn't really know what it was either, but I kind of started putting things together, um, so I think just the trauma was being introduced to sex at such an early age in that way, and hearing what they were telling each other, and and my mom kind of saying, like, oh, I love it when you scream at me. I love it when you hit me like that. Like, And it's just like, what the bleep is going on? Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they're not talking about hitting each other or slapping each other and screaming at each other in a sexual way. I'm thinking, like, oh, he's probably beating my mama. And, and imagine just hearing, like, the clap, 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 clap noise and not knowing what is going on. Like, that is just, it, it'll mess you up mentally. <laughs> like, that's like a horror movie. Like, what is going on? Um, and I remember eventually kind of knowing what it was because it went on for several years. Um, and at the time, I I did believe in, in a God, per se. And I remember just praying, like, every night, like, if you make it stop, like, I'm, I'm never going to do drugs. You know, that's what I was, like, thinking in my little head, like, making a deal with, like, this higher power. Like, I'm going to be good forever. Like, I'm never going to do blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get all A's if you make it stop. I wonder, I wonder um, how many of those deals we made as kids are, like, still lingering over our heads. <laughs> like, I promise I'll never do this. Like, well, you did it. You broke the contract. <laughs> right. Um, so I think the trauma was just, like, being introduced to it in that way. It's just, it's, it's not fun. It's yeah. just not fun. And, and I think because I was introduced to sex at such an, a year, an early age, I did become sexually active at a very early age. I mean, after being in that group that I told you about, I remember I went on birth control um, because I planned on having sex with my boyfriend at that time because in my mind it was, it was kind of normal based on what I saw growing up and um, seeing how my parents would argue all the time um, saying how my, my dad would talk down on my mom all the time, but saying that when they had sex was when they were happy. I mean, that messed me up in my personal relationships as well for a while. Um, so I would say like all of that kind of created that trauma that then led to more bigger issues down the line. Okay. Cause that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if like the way that they, uh, had sex, the way that they interacted with each other, did that influence the way that you had sex and how you did relationships? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely did. Um, so that I, it kind of, I didn't know what a healthy relationship was, I would say, um, as far as communicating with my partner so there were a lot of times that I, I let my partner talk to me in a certain way or make me feel a certain way based on what I saw and when I I think once I started realizing like this is not okay is when I finally started speaking up or or being more selective with who I was dating um on an emotional level because I didn't want to be like my mom once I eventually started seeing different marriages that my friends had or that my friends parents had um, I was like okay yeah this is not normal um but seeing how, again, how they were always happy when they had sex, that was kind of how I dealt with problems with my relationships. It's like, okay, we're going to argue, but then we're going to have sex and everything is fine. And that's not how it should have been. It's not? What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a part of the process, but there's a little bit more to it. Okay. Um, and then with, with them, like, having sex all the time and then later on being raped, I think 
all of that led me to be more sexually adventurous in college because it was kind of like I have all this sexual trauma but I'm not going to let it define me so now let me flip it and let me be in control of things so it just led to a very like fucked up sexual background stuff and I remember when I eventually went into my early 20s I was like okay I'm done having meaningless sex um up to that point I, I didn't contract anything not even like gonorrhea or chlamydia I don't know how that happened but I never to my knowledge I never contracted anything so when I caught herpes it was kind of like it finally caught up to me and I felt so guilty I was like this is karma this is what I get blah 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 blah, blah. um but yeah <laughs> yeah um there were three different things I was going to ask you. Uh, I can probably integrate those into the further discussion, but one of those being, how did you navigate your relationships and sex with partners without having had any sex education, so to speak? Like, what did talking about sex with partners look like? Or was there any conversation at all? Most of the time, and it's such an ignorant response, but most of the time it was just, do you have a condom? Yes, okay. Or are you that, on the pill? That ain't ignorant. So that's not ignorant. That's real. And that's a lot more of a conversation than many people I've spoken to have. So for you to even just be like, hey, do you have a condom? Yes. Whether or not they use it, that's a different conversation. But at least you were willing to uh, initiate that piece of the conversation, too. Yeah. Because what does it and mean then if I'll... they don't have a condom? If you ask and they say no, then what? Right? Yeah. And, and sadly, like a lot of the time it was just, are you clean? Yeah. Okay. When did you last get checked? Two weeks ago. Okay. I mean, but no one ever asked. I never asked them and they never asked me, can I see your results? Or what, what did you get tested for? Was it a blood test? Was it a swab test? I mean, none of that was ever asked. Um, and now looking back, it's, I mean, when you're in college, like, I think all of us think we're so invincible, like, we're we're so young let's just go out there and have sex and it's part of the experience but there's so much responsibility that comes with that i mean emotionally physically mentally um i wish i would have not only checked um you know their results but also kind of checked them mentally i mean are you going to be a crazy person that's going to stalk me after i give you this one like what's going like i need to know <laughs> there's so many things that we have to check for besides that and that it's just it's crazy that most of us don't. Mm -hmm. And then another question revolved around like how herpes has become sort of what your sex education is. Um, you've been in therapy and everything up to this point. Um, I'm curious to know what bits of what you've learned since your diagnosis do you feel like would have been useful to you and relevant to you as someone who was starting to have sex so basically your 13 year old self what did you learn now that you feel like would have transferred well to your 13 year old self uh just becoming on birth control and being sexually active i mean everything to be honest um also just knowing that there are things out there that you can catch um with even if you use a condom I mean, a lot of us think that condom is going to save everything and protect everything. That's not the case. Um, you can still have sex with a condom and still, you know, get fluid to the fluid contact or skin to skin contact. Um, even like with herpes aside, 
receiving oral sex can give you um, BV. It can give you a yeast infection. I mean, people have all these yeah, germs people, in their hey, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh-huh. even if you brush your teeth, you get these little cuts in your mouth. So there's so much that goes with it, but it's either not common sense or common knowledge. I don't know, but I wish I would have known all of that. Mm-hmm. And there's such a, um, like, there there are lots of germs, bacteria, like, all of this stuff comes with the potential for a less desired outcome, an inconvenient outcome. I don't think that this should deter us from uh, having sex altogether, but I do think that what it does is invite us to have more conversations around not just sex, but also, like you said, you do mental... you want to do like mental checks with people before you give them that wop, right? You're going to be crazy after we have sex. Are you going to be needy and possessive? Are you going to disappear completely? Like what's going to happen, right? Um, I think that the conversations really need to go beyond what safe sex looks like from a condom's perspective, because we're also talking about oral hygiene. We're also talking about now, you know, we're talking about COVID and passing on other viruses just from intimate contact, intimate now meaning within six feet of distance. So it's not just people that we're having sex with. These conversations are now shifting in a variety of ways and expanding our perspective in how to navigate this completely. Um, I don't even know where I was. Oh, yeah, I remember the question now. So just like so much of what you've learned since your diagnosis really is what you feel like you should have learned in your youth. But do you feel like that encourages youth to be sexually active or do you believe that having youth... um, with, with youth being able to have access to that information and perhaps even open dialogue with adults being able to talk about sex beyond don't get pregnant, don't get an STD, period. Like, do you feel like that's helpful or does it do more harm in your opinion? Like, what are your thoughts? Um, I guess what I I'm think- asking is if you had more information at the time that was reflective of reality, would you have done things different or would you have, what, what would have happened? I definitely would have done things differently. Um, I think I would have been more selective with who I had sex with and saw it more as what I know now that it's an exchange of sacred energy. That's how I see it <clears throat> versus just um, an action. And it's, it's a fun action. I mean, we're allowed to have fun, but I mean, just at least speaking for myself, how many times have I had sex with someone just because of who they are? How many times have I had sex with someone because I felt like I owed something to them because they bought me something expensive or they took me out on an expensive date? And I'm pretty sure a lot of females can relate, maybe men as well. Um, Shit, now, hey, I'm still out here trying to get a PS5. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me show you how. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, I think I would have still had sex, but I think, now that I know how to have certain conversations and kind of like scan certain people, that's a good word to use. I enjoy sex more now because to me now sex is, it's still fun. It's still, you know, I just need to get a nut, but at least there's an emotional connection and that makes it so much better. And I wish I would have had that growing up. 
Um, that's not to say that some of us sometimes just want to have sex and just get it over with. Like, we don't want to make it that deep when it's, it's something that... Damn, just get it over with? Humans. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Can we <laughs> reword that? Like, not get it over with. Do you actually mean just, like, have sex to have sex? Or you... Because what I heard is, like, oh, let's just get this shit over with. Like, let's get it out the way. Like, in the sense of... <laughs> Like, I'm crazy. Like, I'm I, there's this attraction here. I need to get it out. Or is it, oh, I don't even want to do this. Come on, hurry up. Oh, no, I'm talking about, like, let's just get this nut out. And okay, all right, enjoy all right. It. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. wanted to make so, sure. <laughs> but, I mean, not when I have those moments. I mean, I call him Django. He's my vibrator. But I just go ahead and use him. Boom, boom, done. Um, but I feel like there's, I, I wish I would have been able to do that when I was younger instead of needing more. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, masturbation is definitely something that I was not talked about, talked to about. Like we made fun of each other if you masturbated because you couldn't get no wob, right? And this is obviously not the terminology that we use at that point in time, but <laughs> like I grew up thinking masturbating was a bad thing because of like my friends. Like I used to like avoid doing it. Um, I'd avoid touching myself. And it was just like, oh, now I'm overly aggressive and trying to get sex from somebody. And this is all even through middle school, going into high school. And then when I finally did have sex, it was like, oh, I, this is cool. But I'm going to still masturbate, too. And I think it took me until college because in college I had a roommate. And it got to a point where I was like, hey, man, you're going to have to get up out of here. I need the room. Like I'm going I'm to beat off real quick. So you can come back later. And that's how open dialogue occurred. And it wasn't a bad thing at that point. When I began to talk about it or talk about masturbating and talk about watching porn, it seemed like all of that shame that was instilled in me from my friends around me it was alleviated. Like it was just gone. The more that I was able to safely talk about it. And then if, obviously the first couple of times you talk about it, there's a little bit of a risk. Like maybe you're going to get jokes or get made fun of. Ah, ah you can't get none. Ah, ah, ah. And like, that's the extent of it. But then it became, do what you got to do. And <laughs> hearing that from friends, it's like, oh, that's support. All right. So now there's this healing aspect of sharing in a way that, it just looks different than what we expect. So um, I share that because what I've heard from you through talking about everything that you've talked about that is really challenging for a lot of people to be able to even contemplate talking about. Like I've spoken to women, I speak to women who have been raped, who have been sexually assaulted, who have had some form of sexual trauma that they didn't realize was a sexual trauma. And even with men, like men being able to for the first time say to somebody like, uh, a babysitter raped me like that's not what unaware ignorant men hear we hear what that's hot that's a fantasy like to a lot of people maybe it is but you can't you can't put yourself in the in the emotional space of somebody who's like in that who's unprepared for something like that who like their power is taken away from them there's no consent there's no autonomy they don't have a lot of what we think they should have and because we're watching porn like watching porn that's safe when there's that step fantasy or babysitter fantasy whatever it is an older woman like oh you better man up like you're supposed to do this this is how you're supposed to handle that situation but no that is in fact a sexual trauma and a lot of people you know even like listening to you now think about my first exposure to uh like sex having been interracial orgy like that was my first porn that i watched and that 100 reflects like the way that i view 
uh, relationships or how I view sex even now, um, looking at how I date, looking at the types of uh, kink or BDSM stuff that I'm into and navigating those kinds of relationships, like that initial point of um, of sex and whatever it is that we come across 100% reflects the way that we do things moving forward. And it's really important for us to be able to uh, have safe spaces to talk about that and get the support that we don't even know that we need um, in order for us to be able to heal from it so that our decision making isn't so skewed by uh, our unconscious behaviors and beliefs about what that traumatic event um, means for us because we'll play it out in a sense of, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like because this is how it was the first time that I was exposed to it. Yeah. I was just looking at you see if you had anything to add to it, but uh, we are at that point now where I guess I can start talking to you about the reason that I reached out, which was yeah, <laughs> that sorry. you did, yeah, you did the... Uh, Something positive for positive people group therapy. Thank you. Like, thank you for being there. Um, I appreciate you coming and showing up and like being willing to um, do this because it's in the early stages. This is the first time that I've done something like this. Um, There was like one group session to see what it would look like for people. And then this was the first time that it's been something ongoing. So I guess I'm curious for you to just share with me anything that you want to share about what that experience was like for you. Um, I'll shut up now and let you take it. So um, first and foremost, I want to apologize to you and the group because I think towards the end, I didn't show up every time as I should have. Um, I got a new job at the time and it was because I was a new girl, I had to have the night shift on. Um, the nights that we met. Um, And by night shift, I mean all night until four in the morning. Um, So there were a lot of times that I had to miss out because I got called in last minute or they didn't take my scheduling into consideration. So sorry in advance. Um, But from the the majority of the meetings that I did attend, I grew so, so much. And when you were thanking me just right now, a minute ago, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, no, thank you. Um, There was one time where we talked about it and it, or we were having a talk about disclosing. And the next meeting we came back, I came in saying, I disclosed to three people this week. And that was unheard of because at that time, I had only disclosed to like two other people, like within the past two, three years, right? So to me, that was big. Like in one week, I was able to disclose to three people and that was thanks to what they, um, to their support and like everything they talked about. And I disclosed to someone romantically. I disclosed to someone at work. I disclosed to one of my really close friends. Like I disclosed to people that I never thought I would have talked to. I mean, for someone to think, oh yeah, I'm going to go in and tell my boss, hey, I need a mental health day because I have a herpes outbreak and I'm just not mentally feeling it. I mean, that's not something that happens every day, you know? So it, I grew so, so much. I mean, I'm, I'm so much more confident in myself and um, I think as much as some of us like to say we're not ashamed of having herpes anymore and and we're much more than our diagnosis I think some of us do have those days when we just kind of it kind of just swings at us and we start feeling down again and we're allowed to I mean there are feelings because you're allowed to feel Um, but this group really kind of maybe be more more comfortable with my diagnosis 
and be comfortable with having those days where I'm not happy that I have herpes, but being able to get out of that mental place and then look at all the positives that I've gained from having herpes. Um, the group also made me realize when I compare my life prior to my diagnosis to now having or post-diagnosis, I am much more happier with who I am today than with who I was in the past because having herpes taught me to love myself. Having herpes taught me to know myself. Having herpes taught me to know what my body likes, what it doesn't like. Um, it taught me to set boundaries and really be able to filter through men and say, why am I really having sex? Is this person deserving of my time and my body? Um, so this group made me grow in so, so, so many ways. I mean, it was such a valuable experience. Um, I wish I would have participated a bit more towards the end because if I grew this much, I know I would have grown a lot more by going to those like three meetings or so that I missed. Um, it also not only made me grow and learn, but it also made others in my life learn and grow because through those conversations that I had with people when I was disclosing, I was able to inform a lot of people of what herpes was. Um, there was someone that I disclosed to that... <laughs> Oof, is it okay? Here it comes. So when I when I told him that I had um, herpes, I told him we were about to go on a trip together, um, and I told him that before that happened, that I needed to disclose to him um, because I didn't want him to expect something and not. And once I tell him, for him not to want to receive it anymore. Um, so he said, "What you got herpes or something?" I said, "Yeah, I do." He was like, "Oh." Well, I used to have it too, but I don't have it anymore. I only had it once. And I'm like, oh. So it was me being able to explain to him, no, you still have herpes. Like, you, you don't just have, you might have just had one outbreak and never had it again, but you still have it. So me educating him about it um, and me being able to take my power back because he said, well, once you go on a trip with me, you're, you're going to have to marry me because if I get herpes again, it's because you're going to give it back to me. So, again, being able to take my power back and say, no, <laughs> you already have herpes, sweetheart. And even if you didn't, I don't have to marry you because that's the risk that you're taking by me telling you. Um, so me being able to kind of teach him a little bit more about himself uh, while also taking my power back and, and giving me the respect that I deserve by saying this doesn't make me any less of a woman. This doesn't make me a liability, you know. Um, so that kept that conversation um having another conversation with someone else who thought that the COVID vaccine gives you herpes <laughs> because you saw on TV that people who are getting the COVID vaccine are getting herpes. I'm like, no, it probably triggered something that made them have an outbreak, but they already had it. So just me having these conversations with people to inform them as well. Um, and in the process, feeling more empowered. So it, it made me grow in so, so many ways, Courtney, when I tell you this is probably one of like my life highlights it, it really was and doing all of that and learning with other people who have similar stories to me um learning about other people's coping mechanisms i mean we laughed together i'm sure some tears were shed together as well we talked about our relationships um our families we talked about i mean we talked about everything i mean we would start out um, having a fun conversation, so having that or a fun uh, question and having that fun question kind of helped us get to know each other a little bit more remotely. Um, it, it was just something that I looked forward to. I mean, they were my virtual friends that 
I could be myself with and not be seen as, and obviously at times I didn't even feel like a herpes support group because we were having so much fun. We were just having a conversation and the herpes has to be the thing that we have in common. And in that fun conversation, we're learning about coping mechanisms and that made it so much better because it wasn't one of those, like what you see on TV is, hi, I'm Maya and I have herpes. Like it wasn't one of those like awkward meetings where you just like, it's very like by the book and you just talk about herpes, 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 which I think is sometimes what happens when you're learning about herpes, you get like herpes overload of information and it's kind of overwhelming at times. But with this, I was getting information in such a fun way that I didn't realize I was getting information until after the fact where I was like, wow, like I grew this much. So that was, I'm sorry, that was a really long answer. (laughs) No, no, that's what I want. I was just going to let you talk and share whatever. Um, but yeah, like I said, I appreciate you having been there and been a part of that because, you know, it's the first time I've done something like this and I'm thinking that group therapy is in fact much more sustainable for something positive, at least right now, um, until we get some kind of funding or major donors or anything like that. So I want to keep this going and I just want to make sure that, uh, I'm able to best set expectations for new people who are coming in. So if that looks like, um, just setting the expectation of this is how many meetings you are going to attend or this is what's on the table. Um, here's what you can expect out of this, like being more confident, disclosing, uh, then that's the kind of feedback it is that I want and need in order to be able to provide that for people. And when I pursue like getting funding, being like, hey, here's what you can expect. But it sounds like you were knowledgeable and empowered enough to be able to navigate conversations around your sexual health, you know, not just in regards to herpes, but sexual health, period. Like you were able to, as women always have to do, like educate and be responsible for men. So being able to say, nah, you don't have herpes once and then it's gone. You've now informed someone who moving forward, whether he behaves differently or not, he now knows this and it's in his brain that he can still give someone herpes and that he has herpes. And this is what STD prevention is, or at least the minimalization is. And I want to be able to take what it is that you've been able to offer here um, and share this with other people so that they are able to see what this post-diagnosis support resource has to offer if it's integrated with STD prevention efforts. Because we're failing. We're failing our youth. We're failing uh, collectively. When I talk about, when I say we, I mean like we, the sex education system. So let me make sure and separate myself from that. The sex education system is and has failed people tremendously simply by not talking about Relationship management skills, masturbating and pleasure when it comes to sex, navigating challenging discussions, and then, you know, making sure somebody worthy of that WAP, right? So we are at a space where, like, your presence here, you're sharing what you've shared so far in this podcast and your presence in the group and the feedback that you're offering now. Like, this is you are one of the pioneers to what challenging the status quo of STI stigma looks like just by being there and sharing your story. So thank you so much, Maya. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for your time and space and for the resources. Of course. Um, I'm going to let you go. Is there anything else that you need from me or that you want to share before I let you? Um, 
No, I guess just final thoughts to anyone that's hearing this podcast. Um, you're not alone. Having herpes is a superpower. You're going to learn so much about yourself, and I'm so excited for your growth. And if you need any help, reach out to Courtney because he helped me a lot. So don't be afraid to go out and look for resources. You're doing the right thing by listening to this podcast. Even if this is your first step, it'll get better. It'll get easier. It's not bad. It's a superpower. So, yeah, be happy. (laughs) People be like, what kind of superpower? So when I say that, I mean, like, you got to filter for people out of this world. So, like, when you're on a date or you're thinking about dating someone and they're like, oh, I want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Like, it don't matter. We can do anything, blah, blah, blah. And you tell them you got herpes and then they disappear. You know, they ain't mean that shit. <laughs> so like that's that's kind of one of the ways. But for me, it's just been super healing. Um, and it's offered me the opportunity to actually like serve and understand what being of service actually means and looks like. So through this, I've experienced a significant amount of healing and I've become a version of myself that I like a lot more than I've liked myself in the past. So um, just being here doing this and having people get involved and want to help and support and just share, uh, this is is amazing. Like, this is a really beautiful experience to be a part of. And in that sense, like, herpes is and has become my own superpower, not only because it was my gateway to my sex education, but... It was just, it's become so much more. Like, I get to connect with amazing people, you know, like you and with the audience and the people who are to come uh, later on after this podcast is released. So, yeah, you know, that's what it is. It's a superpower in a way, if that's how we choose to look at it. Or we can look at it as a curse and consider ourselves cursed, but that's way less fun than calling it a superpower. (laughs) All right, that's it. Um, that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people if you can please like rate review share subscribe to this podcast um, bah, bah, bah. oh visit www.spfpp.org you'll see 2021 survey data from people who are living with HSV created by people who are living with HSV and we got the results of those people who had been living with HSV so if you go to the website you'll see 2021 survey results you can click that link and you'll see like how much of the um, community that showed up for this survey Uh, you get to see a little bit of information about who's represented in this thousand person survey that we actually got 14% more people to take than we were planning to. And we got that in a much shorter amount of time than we thought it would take to get it. So that's what the survey is based off of. If you want to check that out and if you want to support us, as always, you can donate to something positive for positive people. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is essentially just paying for people to get therapy. So at the end of the day, that's what it is. And if you want to be involved, hit me up, yo. Till next time, stay sex positive.